Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So John chapter 14 through 16, there's, there's what I like to call, it's, it's, or like to think of it as, is this is the setup for the Holy Spirit. And uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He, sa- he says, listen, guys, I'm going to go away. And, the, and they're like, well, what do you mean? We want you to be with us forever. We want you to be, you know, and I've heard people talk about that before. You know, I wish we could just live in the time of Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 listen. He's like, it's really good that I'm going away. I'm going to go away, and, 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 but I'm going to provide for you a comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be just like I'm next to you, except for I'm not going to have skin on. In fact, I'm not just going to be next to you. I'm going to get up inside of you uh, through the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that's in me is going to possess you. And then in John 15, Jesus talks about staying connected uh, to the vine and remaining in his love because he said, what's going to happen? You've got to remain in me because the world is going to hate you because of me. And so he's given this warning. He's like, guys, it's going to get really bad. Right? He's, he's warning them. It's going to get really bad, but if you remain in me, we'll, we'll endure this thing together. We'll do this. And then in John 16, he talks a, a lot about the spirit of truth. It's very important, the spirit of truth. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit that will come and make his dwelling, not just among us, but actually inside of us. In the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come and help people do things and, and, and kind of come on them is what the scripture would say that the Holy Spirit come upon them. But in the new covenant, the spirit comes up out of us. Are you with me? So the, the, the Holy Spirit is the indweller, the spirit of truth, the same spirit that was in Jesus that allowed him to, to perform miracles and that allowed him to lay hands on sick people, the, the, the spirit that gave him the ability to, to speak and lives are transformed. That same spirit is now inside of us, the spirit of truth. So in John chapter 17, with all these things in mind, the world's about to get bad, all this kind of stuff. Jesus is praying. It's near the end of his earthly run, if you will. He's, a, he's about to go into the cross, and, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that in coming weeks. And in John chapter 17, this is the longest prayer that we have uh, recorded that Jesus prayed. And it says this in verse 1, John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you've given him all authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. Everybody say, we have eternal life because we know him. The only true God and Jesus, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Everybody say it's finished. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. In other words, we're gonna, I'm going to go back to heaven pretty quick. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and you have kept your word. And they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I passed on them the passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world. Check this out. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given me them to me. 
so they may bring me glory. But you know, you're not for your glory, you're for God's glory. Amen? Now I'm departing from the world, and they are staying in this world. But I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name now. Protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the, the name that you have given me. I've guarded them so that no one was lost except, except the one headed for destruction, speaking of Judas here. As the scriptures foretold, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they may be filled with my joy. I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. That's why the world hates you, because you don't belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I am asking you to take them. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So make them holy. Here we go. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. The spirit of truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. How many know you're being sent? Come on, you're part of the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. Hear me? You're not, the, you're not the rescue mission. You're part of the rescue mission. Right? All right. I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can may be made holy by your truth. So Jesus is praying lots of stuff here. I mean, we could spend the year just probably on this passage right here. But basically, Jesus is praying for really about three things that I'm seeing here, first of all. First of all, Jesus is praying to be our comfort, to be our comfort, that we do, that we'd be left in the world, but we would be comforted. Now, comforted is a lot being different, different than being comfortable, right? And so Jesus doesn't leave you in this world to be comfortable, but that you can find your comfort in him. So he wants to be our comfort. Jesus wants us to be in the world that's dark, that's scary, that's uncomfortable, so we can also bring his comfort, Right? And so God's plan for you isn't to be comfortable and just, you know, you can just kind of live life and just be kind of content and happy. No, no, no. He really, he wants to be your comfort. Why does he want to be your comfort? Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. So he is praying to be our comfort, to keep them safe, right? Then no harm would come upon them, right? Because difficulty is going to be there, but the difficulty will not affect them. It will not stop them. The second thing he prays for is our joy. And he said this, I pray that they be filled with my joy. How many of you know it's not your joy that God's concerned about? He's concerned with being your joy. He wants you to be filled with His joy. See, His joy is an unmovable joy. Right? It doesn't change based upon the job that you have or the situation that you're in or the person you're in a relationship with. No, no, no. His joy is unmovable. And that's the kind of joy He's asking that we be filled with. And the third thing that He prays for is He prays that we would be set apart for Him. And he uses this word holy. One translation says sanctified. Now, what it means to be holy or to sanctified means that it's reserved for a specific purpose. Okay, now we have all these things in modern we think about holy. But holy actually means that I set it aside for a purpose. Okay, say I went and bought me some Twinkies. 
And those Twinkies, that box of Twinkies, I'm not a big Twinkie fan, but they're whatever. You know, everybody liked Twinkies when you couldn't have them anymore, and now they're just kind of normal again. And so you go and you buy Twinkies, and you put them on the top shelf of the pantry so the kids can't get them. Right? And so you put them up there, and you hide them. What are you doing? You are setting them apart. You are setting them aside for your purposes. Right? Right? I'm setting them aside for my purposes so when the kids go to bed, we, we do this thing at our house, Leslie and I, we have ice cream every night. After the kids are in bed, you want some ice cream? Yeah, party. And so one day Mariah comes out, and she's like, y'all are eating ice cream. You didn't ask me if I wanted any. And I told her, I said, baby, we eat ice cream every night. And she's like, I can tell. No, she didn't say that. And, uh, she said, she said, well, I don't get, so I'll let her have some ice cream. So I set that ice cream apart, right? You set those Twinkies apart for a purpose. I don't buy that so, you know, community group can eat my ice cream or my Twinkies. Come on, those are for me. Come on, are you with me? So we are, we are setting those things. And that's what it means when God says that you're holy. He is setting you aside for his purposes. He's saying, I got a plan for you so nothing can touch you. So I'm going to comfort you and I'm going to put you in a joy that's ecstatic. And I'm going to set you aside so nothing can, can mess with you because you're mine. I reserve you for me. How many know that you are saved not for you but for him? Right? He wants you. You are off limits. So when you say you're holy, you're saying you're off limits to the world. You're off limits to the devil. Your purposes are God's purposes. Your only affiliation for the world is to win the world. You're on the rescue mission. So he says this. He says, make them holy by your truth. Now the truth is, is what makes us holy. Jesus said, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So we're clean. We're made holy by what? The truth, the words that are coming out. So I want to talk this morning how truth sets us apart. How truth sets us apart. Now listen, we are under, you know, truth, and let me just say this. I'll I'll get into this. Number one, truth establishes authority. That's why we want to know what the truth is, right? Because truth has the final say, right? That's what we do. We spend our life looking for truth, looking for the better argument, looking for the better reasoning. Why? Because truth has the authority. It establishes authority. The the thing about truth is is truth is, you know, there was a movement going on uh, 20 years ago about all these people that were talking about how truth is relative. Truth is relative. It just depends on. And what happens is, is you have to look at that statement and go, is that true? Right? Because so the moment that truth becomes a variable, and as soon as truth becomes this thing that it just depends on what you think truth is, then, the, then it's not true anymore. It's just opinion. Right? And so the thing that makes truth true is that it's true. Right? It has no variable. Truth is constant, 100%, established 100% of the time. Always constant, always established. Truth is truth. Truth doesn't change. It doesn't need to change. Why? Because truth establishes authority. It is, boom, that's the truth. Well, that might be your opinion about the truth. You might not have the revelation of the truth. Come on, we'll get into that in a little bit. But the actual definition of truth is 
the true or actual state of a matter. And so truth establishes authority. And this is how we, one of the ways that we're set apart. So truth always has a final say. Let me just say this. If the word of God is not true, if what we believe about Jesus is not the truth, then the gospel is powerless to save and all hope is lost. We'll close the doors and we'll go home. But we believe based upon good reasons and good evidences in the world today that Jesus is the truth. That the things that are spoken about Jesus, that the, the historical record confirms all the things that we believe. We believe it because it's true, not because it made us feel a certain way. Because tomorrow you might feel differently, but the truth doesn't change based upon your reasoning, right? Come on. That's right. And because it's true, it is powerful. Because it's true, it holds power. Because it's true, the gospel is powerful. Because it's true, the, 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 the gospel does give us hope. Because it's true. When something's true, we can place hope in it because we know that that hope is going to be placed amidst. That we know that we're not going to be disappointed. Come on. Um, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, it, it shares this, and we've read it in different translations, but I want to share from the New American Standard this morning. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Another translation say, with the belt of truth, buckling the belt of truth. Now, the, the, the translation here is actually accurate, having girded your loins with with truth. Now we think that's kind of interesting thing to say. So the belt of truth, and when we look at the, the, the full armor of God, and we're not really doing a study on the, the armor of God uh, this morning, but maybe we will one day. But when we put on the truth of God, what, we're not just saying that we have some little fa- fashion belt. Okay, it's talking about the armor. It's talking about the armor that a soldier would wear. And this was the first thing that a soldier would put on would be his belt. And he would take his tunic. He would take his robe, right? And he would actually wrap that up. And the belt would hold that tunic in place so that he's no longer just kind of hanging out with his robe kind of dangling everywhere. In fact, he would kind of hike up his robe and make a dopper-looking thing where he would tuck it up inside this belt. And now he has a pair of shorts on. So now if he needs to run, he can run. If he needs to kick, he can kick. He can function a little bit better like a warrior. Why? Because he has tucked everything in to his truth. It might be a little bit uncomfortable. Come on. But he has to fit it in to the truth. It's got to, it's got to flow with the truth. And then the other thing about this belt is that it, was, it, it set the stage for everything else. Everything was established upon this belt. So then he would have, you know, we talk about the, the sword of the spirit, which is the truth of the word of God. Well, where did that hang out? Did he walk around with, that all, with it all the time? No, no, no. He had something that was attached to his belt that he kept his sword in. So now he's got this, everything lines up with this. And there were actually, if you will study it out, about the armor in those days, the breastplate of righteousness was actually attached and secured to this belt that he put on. So everything about the armor revolved around his, the ability of a soldier to attach to this belt the truth. Why? Because truth establishes the authority that we have. You have authority in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is true. 
it establishes authority in your life. Not because you're so smart. Come on. Not because you're, a, you're so persuasive or because you felt a certain way. It's because it's true. And because it's true, it holds power. And it holds power to save. It holds power to rescue us. So the truth sets us apart by this. We have the truth. We're set apart. We have the truth. We have the truth. Well, that's an arrogant thing to say. But it's the truth. It's not arrogant. It's confident. It's confident in the authority that truth has the final say. Number two. We're not doing an apologetics message today, but that's something you should get into because your feelings aren't good enough. You do need to be well-studied and astute and grounded in truth. And that's why he says that, right? Gird up your loins. <laughs> get it up. Get Get it on. Get on that truth. So you, you, <laughs> huh? Gird it up. So some of you need to spend, some of you need to, and I know how we are, right? I mean, we are emotional. I'm wired emotionally, but I also have to be a good steward of this thing God gave me called a mind. And if I'm going to think straight, then I've got to start wrapping that mind around some truth. That's the reason why it's important for you to study the scriptures, why it's good for you to be a reasonable thinker, not just a feeler. Those things are great, but they're the salt and pepper of life, not the foundation. Number two, the truth defines our identity. Now, see, this is the good thing about the Word of God being true, is that you are everything the Word says you are. And guess what? Nothing can change that. Nothing changes the truth about what God says about you. Our, listen, our authority is dictated by our identity. The authority that we carry, the, the authority that we carry out, the, the authority that we demonstrate is directly connected and dictated by who we are. You have authority because you have the truth, but that's lived out. Why? Because of who you are. This is why the enemy lies to you. This is why. He knows you've got the truth. So he wants to come and he wants to manipulate your mind to think you're not part of that. You're not a child of God. Maybe you're not saved. You're not healed. Come on. You're not well. That's all the devil talking. Because the word of God says quite the contrary. That you are a child. That you are redeemed. Come on. So when the devil lies to you and he says something that's contrary to the word of God, you just say, you're a liar. The word says. Now, how are you going to know that if you're not in the word? Well, I just sing that worship song. That makes me feel good. We're not talking about how you feel. We're talking about what you know. Listen, it is important for you to be grounded in truth because everything the enemy does is a lie. Everything he does is a lie. He's not playing. He, he seeks to destroy you, to take you out, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission. That's the devil's mission. So if it looks like thievery, if it looks like destruction, if it looks like discouragement, anything that fits under that, devil ministry. Don't believe the lie. That's not Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is life and life to its fullness. So anything the devil comes, ah, just God doesn't really want you to have that. Shut up, devil. Right? The truth says that I will have life and life more abundantly. So I don't have to be discouraged. 
So the enemy, everything he does is a lie. He will lie to you about your identity. He will lie to you about your security. And he will lie to you about your destiny. And he will lie and lie and lie. And it's time that we stop believing the lies. It's time we stop believing everything the devil's telling you that you're not good enough, that God doesn't have a plan, that your mistakes are too big. It's time to stop believing those lies and start believing what God says about you, that he is a redeemer, that he works everything for your purpose, that he desires you, that God loves you. Well, maybe he doesn't like me very much. He does. That God's not ticked off at you. That God's not frustrated. That he's not full attention. That Jesus is enough. The devil will lie and say all that. He's not enough. You need more. You need to do this. Man, you're not a child of God. Do you believe? Yeah, then you are a child. The devil's a liar. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? What did he do? He said, hey, if you're the son of God, every time, if the son, if you are, if you're a son, if that's who you are, and this is exactly what he does to you, if that's who you are, let me tell you who I am. I'm a blood, blood-bought child of God. The God who destroyed you when Jesus was put on that cross. And guess what? Your destiny is a lot more gloomy than mine is devil now when jesus confronted demons he also demonstrates his identity his authority right now notice when jesus you know people get really weird when they deal with demons because they're like every demon has to have a name we spend hours like studying and researching oh, let's see what the demons and see what kind of strongholds you know what jesus did he showed up you know how many times jesus asked the demon their names once you know what happened when Jesus showed up? He went, leave. He didn't yell and scream and throw fits. He didn't, get this, Jesus didn't pray to demons. I've seen insecure Christians get before God, and this is what they do. Right? 40 minutes. They have an hour for prayer, and 40 minutes they're rebuking the devil. Last I checked, that's not really in the Lord's prayer. Uh, let me show you guys with the story. Um, there was this guy that was in our ministry. His name was Josh, and we called him Squash. And uh, and so I called up Squashy. Nathan knows Squashy. He's, he's been before. Uh, anyway, he's a good guy. And uh, I had this kid in our ministry call me one day. I might have shared this story before. He calls me, and he's like, yeah. He's like, Pastor. I'm like, what's up, Quincy? He's like, I need you to get over here. I said, what's going on? He's like, my girlfriend. She's like, got demons on her or something i was like oh. i was like okay so i called my boy joel i was like hey you want to go with me to quincy's house i'm gonna go drop some demons out and he's like oh man i can't get off work so i called squashy i was like squash you want to go yeah yeah bro he got all fired up so i pick up squashy and we're we get in my my truck and we're driving over and we just start praying we said lord just pray that when we show up the demons have to leave just just by us being there we don't have to say anything we just got to show up they can't they can't dwell where we dwell and so we just prayed that just real simple, you know, listen to music. Lord, we just pray. The end. It's not that we didn't take it serious, but we knew, we knew who we were. So we show up, we go, and we knock on the door, and we're like waiting there for a minute. Knock on the door again, and Quincy opens the door. And, you know, I ain't going to lie. We were a little bit like, ooh. 
what's going to happen? We're going to like thrown up on or like somebody going to beat us down or I mean, all this stuff going there. And he, he answers the door and he's like, come on. He comes in and Quincy's like, sit down. Sit down. So we sit down. We're like, what's going on? He's like, bro, you ain't going to believe what happened. I said, well, he said, as soon as you knocked at the door, everything changed. Can I tell you today, that's not because we're so spiritual. It's just because we're children of God and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we show up, demons have to leave. We don't have to spend the rest of our life thinking about demons and studying demons and demonology and naming demons and what kind of demon do you have and what kind of demons over the city. You know what? All we got to do is live for Jesus and demons leave because it's who we are. And so Jesus shows up and he's like, leave and they go they take off it's not about how loud we can pray or even how many scripture we can quote it's about or demons we can name or how about you you don't know you haven't studied i don't have to i've studied jesus jesus shows up demons leave go jesus didn't entertain demons he was like oh let's see which one what's your name let's go to the pit you know I don't know where we get all this weird theology. I want to get my theology from Jesus. He shows up. Demons leave. Yeah, I don't remember, like, any of these times when Jesus drove out demons. He wasn't, like, in prayer mode. Interesting. He's just like, leave! What's your name? And then he didn't, no, you're lying, your other name. He's just like, what's your name? Legion, we're many. Okay, leave. All of you. Get out. So the devil will always come, and he'll try to distort your view of the truth. He'll destroy your view about your identity. So we need to know the truth of who we belong to. Come on, we need to know what the Word says about us. And we need to know what Jesus really accomplished at the cross. Was it enough or was it not enough? Listen, I'm not saying that there should never be a time of someone getting demons drove out. I believe that. I believe that. I believe some people need deliverance. But even study the the life of the disciples. They weren't spending hours and hours chasing demons. They were spending hours and hours chasing God. Come on. That's what he wants. I I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, when we believe the lie, we empower the liar. So the the moment you believe one little lie from the enemy, he's like, oh, they'll believe a bigger lie. So he always starts off with these little, what we would call like spiritually white lies, right? How? That's not true. That person's saying this about you. Because you're insecure, right? Well, they don't like you. They didn't talk to you today. It's because they don't like you. Right? Shut up. That's exactly the way it is. That's why we're to take every thought captive and bring it under the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of the truth. Come on. Okay. So, number one, the truth establishes authority. Number two, the truth defines our identity. Stop believing the lie and start believing that you're a child of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you really believe what Jesus said? If you ask me for 
bread, I'm not going to give you a stone. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you ask him for something good and something nourishing and something power, do you really believe he's going to give you something bad? Do you think he's going to give you a snake if you ask for bread? Jesus is breaking it down, and they're like, no. It's not what a good—he's like, how how much more your heavenly father? Even a good earthly pagan father would do that, and I'm better than him. My father is better than your earthly father. I mean, he just is, no matter how good your earthly father is. Okay. Number three is that the truth advances our liberty. Now, we talk about freedom— and we, we talk about holiness, we talk about being set apart, a lot of times we think bondage. I mean, don't we? We start talking about freedom, and we start talking about purity, and for some reason we can't merge those together. Right? We think, well, if I'm free to do whatever I want to do, then I can't be pure. Come on, because we know the standard. Right? Freedom. We can just do whatever we want to do. Just do, love Jesus and do whatever we want. I don't know, quite the contrary. If you love me, obey my commandments. But that sounds like bondage. Check this out. Holiness is not just purity of action, but purity of heart. So what Jesus does is he teaches you to love. Hold on. Holiness, when we talk about holiness, you guys know what I'm talking about, like people, like, you have to wear, like, this covering on your head, and you can't wear makeup, and this is what holiness looks like. So what you have is you have this movement of people that say, if you want to be holy, then you've got to look a certain way, you've got to dress a certain way, and you've got to be absolutely consumed with what the outside looks like. That's not holiness. Because you can do all those things, and your heart still be rotten. So holiness doesn't focus on the external. Holiness focuses on the heart. The heart affects the external. Holiness normally looks like legalism when we talk about holiness. That's the reason why we don't ever preach it. Could you imagine? I'll do a series. The next series is on holiness. How to get holy. Nobody shows up. That means we can't wear makeup anymore. That means we can't watch television or go bowling. I know that you think that's funny, but for real, like it used to be a sin to go to bowling alleys. The balls had double eye, three eyes, double. Right? I don't know. The pins are his demons, you pagan. Don't go. You know, I don't know what it is. Wait, what? Bowling? She need a little makeup, right? I mean, sorry. Yeah. Accessory, that's right. Anyway, so you guys know what I'm talking about, right? This holiness thing is like, oh, yeah, I need to be holy. So you got to, you know, let's all look uniform and exactly the same and plain and, you know, go live in the the boondocks, whatever you call it. Okay. Listen, if holiness is not rooted in purity of heart, it feels like bondage, not freedom. Um, we watched this thing, this show. What's that show called that we watched? The, the one about the... the the people that go to New York and they get all paganed out and Amish, yeah, these Amish people. So we watch this. Leslie watches this show and I can tune in every once in a while. It's called Breaking Amish, and basically the Amish community. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't really know their beliefs, but from what we've learned, the Amish community is they have like this like strict code that you have to live to. You can't have electricity because that's not holiness. 
And so they have all these things. You got to wear this certain thing. And so what's normal in Amish communities is for them to rebel. It's normal for them to rebel. It's not normal for them to stay to the standard. Why? Because we can't live to a standard by imposing it. A standard must be lived out from the inside out. And so what happens is with, the, with these people, and if those things were true, then we need to do those things. We don't think they're true. Um, so they enforce this stuff from the outside and say, well, you've got to look like this. You can't have electricity. You can't have You've got to make your own candles, whatever. No buying candles. We'll make ours. Right, whatever. Um, and so what happens with these communities is they expect people to rebel towards the standard. Why? Because the standard can never, not, can never be imposed over you and on you. A holy standard, holiness lives from the inside out. So holiness normally looks like legalism because it's viewed as controlling behavior, not transforming the heart. Jesus came to set you free. Liberty. Liberty what? To be who you are. To be who God made you to be. All of a sudden, you have this obedience in your heart, and you want to respond to it. So Jesus goes, respond to it. The holiness. So he puts you inside. He makes you holy. Then you live holy. You're already clean because the words I have spoken. So that word comes and sets us free to live according to the way that we're supposed to live. Not, you've got to do this. You're going to hell. Oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll do this. But your heart's still wicked, and you're doing all this stuff. And you don't belong to God any more than the person that is doing all this stuff, whose heart is wicked. And so legalism, uh, holiness will always look like legalism because it's controlling behavior. But what God wants to do is he wants to set you free. Come on. Your actions will follow. Are you with me? But don't get the cart before the horse. Jesus wants you free to the core. He wants you free to the core. And this is what he says, make them holy by my word. Make them holy. Make them set apart. Set them apart by my word. My word is what cleans their heart, pures their heart. And my word is what guides their life. Some of you are walking around in bondage, wanting to be free, not just to live the way that God's designed you to be, uh, to live, but also you're walking around bondage with things like shame and disappointment and regret and all this tension that just weighs on you. And Jesus wants to transform that too. He doesn't want you. It's not God's will that you live disappointed and discouraged and frustrated and irritated. It's not his plan. It's not his plan for you to walk around sick and diseased. That's not his plan. If that's his plan, then why did Jesus die? Either it was finished on the cross or it wasn't. What do we believe? By his stripes, you are healed, the word says. So what we're believing is the liberty for that to function. Check this out. John 8, 31. Y'all okay today? Is that making sense? Okay. Jesus said this to the people who believed in him. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now, come on, that's holiness. Right? Remaining faithful to his teachings. Right? If you don't have the heart, that's going to look like legalism. Well, I got to follow Jesus. Well, do you want to follow Jesus? Yes! Because you love him? Yes! Or because you don't want to go to hell? 
yeah, right? Now all of a sudden, holiness is fun when you have the relationship intact. Y'all okay with that? I feel like I need to hammer on that because I feel like we're missing it. Then he says this, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Or the truth will, one translation says this, make you free. So you follow, yes, follow the instructions, follow the instructions, but free to follow them. Not free from following them, free to follow them. Not free to the core. Free to the heart that says, God, I want to love you. I want to live for you. I want to desire you. And he's like, yes, and you can. And here's the power to do so. Then he says this in verse 36, who the sun sets free is free indeed. The truth sets you free. Who is the truth? Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. He's not a truth. He's the truth. What sets you free? Jesus. It is finished. That sets you free. Here's the key. The influence of truth. You want to be free? You need the truth? The influence of truth is contingent upon our exposure to it. So it can be true all day long. But if I'm not exposed to it, it does me no good. My car sitting out there will take you to my house or to Dallas or to Fort Worth or to Alaska if you want to drive that long. But if you don't get in and drive it, those, those facts don't matter. It can do that. It can do that. It can go. It can go 85 miles an hour and get 29 miles per gallon. But if I don't get in that car, if I don't get in proximity to it, if I don't get inside of it, it does me no good to have that car. The influence of truth is contingent upon my exposure to it. It's like fire. It affects everything it comes in contact with. But it cannot influence us if we don't encounter it. Mark Mark 7. Nathan, you want to come up? This is the deal. Some of you need freedom. Some of you need purity. Come on. Freedom and purity go together. Are you all with me? Free to live how you're designed. Some of you need the blinders to be taken off to start seeing yourself as a son, as a daughter of God. Right? You need that. So what do you need? You need a revelation. You need a revelation of that truth. You know it's true. You've read it in a book, but it's like you need to hear God say it. Check this out. Mark 7, verse 32. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And people begged Jesus to lay his hands in, on, the, on the man to heal him. And Jesus led him away from the crowd. He's like, come over here so that they could be alone. <laughs> Don't you love it when Jesus pulls you? Isn't it interesting when we need a revelation? A lot of times he's not going to do it in a church service like that. He's going to go, won't you come over here and let's get together and let me share with you what I want to do. He put his fingers on the man's ears and spitting up with his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. And look up to heaven, and he prays. This is what he says. He sighs first. And he takes this guy outside, or to the side, and he says, Don't you love that? And he goes, E Father. In Aramaic, which means be open. 
And then this God that couldn't speak, that couldn't hear, he said, be opened. He told the Father, be opened. And it says this. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. There's two things that God wants to do today. He wants to free you up. He wants to free you up to be able to hear in his voice to you, his prayer this morning. I believe when God is praying, I believe Jesus is praying this prayer right now because he's at the throne of heaven making intercession for this. He is saying this, be opened. Ifatha, be opened. Open their ears so they can hear who they really are, what I think about them, what I desire for them, what I have planned for them. Be opened. And then he's saying this, and would you open their tongue so they can start declaring it. This is who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. So when the enemy comes to you, you can go, that's not who I am. This is who I am because I've heard. I've heard the master say, be opened. And now not only my ears are open and my mouth is open, but my eyes are open to my identity. I am a son of God. I am a child of God.